Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. We have a bonus podcast this week all about the American election. My name is Justin Hamilton, and if we end up living on the Fury Road, you're invited to hide with me here on Big Squid. On today's Big Squid, I am wrapped to bring you my good friend Charlie Pickering. He's actually making his Big Squid debut, and we've been trying to tee this up for a while now, but between our conflicting schedules and just kind of being all over the place, and he's a dad, it's been difficult to try and catch him. And, of course, with the news cycles in constant flux, trying to, you know, talk about the election and having it be out of date so quickly... So we kept pushing it back and we kept pushing it back and we kept pushing it back. So we are wrapped to be able to bring this to you. And I'm bringing it a bit earlier because I kind of figured, well, normally this would come out just before election eve. And I don't know, I just wanted to give you a little bit more time to enjoy this or maybe (laughs) possibly get a little bit freaked out. I don't know. Depends on where you are on the election divide. I guess it also depends on whether you're a naturally optimistic or pessimistic person. But anyway, next week we'll be back to our usual schedule. And I'll also have more information about the Big Squid Live faux Christmas show on December 13 at Giant Dwarf, all readily available to stream online. But let's get straight into today's episode. If you're new to the Big Squid podcast, this is a place where my guests celebrate what they love from music to TV shows to movies, etc., 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 And if there's one thing I know about Charlie, he loves American politics and the joy of Yacht Rock. So I managed to lock him down to have a chat about both. We might have to do a longer Yacht Rock episode at some point. We didn't get as much time to talk about that, but it'll give you a little bit of a taste and 
yeah, you know what? I will lock him down for a longer one and we can we can trade our favourite Yacht Rock songs. Uh, Charlie and I have been friends for nearly 20 years, so it was great to not only have him on the podcast, but also just the opportunity to catch up with him. So without further ado, let's bring Charlie in now and I'll swing by at the end to have a little chat to wrap. <laughs> So this podcast is going to come out uh, just before the election in America. We're recording it on the Friday. I have been looking at information that has been coming up on Twitter and Facebook and across uh, the news, and I have a feeling we could be hopelessly out of date within hours. (laughs) Yeah, look, I think there's definitely that potential, because, and also because US politics since the election of Donald Trump has been about a year a week uh, of a year's worth of news a week there like and it's amazing if you actually just go back over a list of scandals during the trump presidency you're just going any one of them would have ended another president but there are so many with him that his way of coping with a career-ending strategy is to a career end his way of coping with a career-ending controversy is to have another one immediately. So you forget the one that happened two days ago. So yeah, we're this close to the election. Uh, it's a close election, but it looks like Biden is winning. Most of what Trump has tried to win has not worked so far. So sweet lordy shit, who knows what's going to happen <laughs> over the weekend. As someone who has always loved politics and, and American politics ever since I've known you, is the Trump presidency like the second season of Friday Night Lights? Like, you'll, <laughs> you'll stick with it because you know it's going to come good again, but let's, let's ignore the fact that Landry killed someone. <laughs> yeah, do you know what? I think, I think we have to have... I, I can only answer that question after next week, which will be tomorrow when this podcast comes out. I can only answer it after we have a result because I've got a theory about my overwhelming feeling about Donald Trump is that he is like the greatest Mark Twain story come to life. You know, most of Mark Twain's stories were um, apocryphal tales. They were fables about America and they really tapped into the American psyche and, and the moral foibles of America and, and what could corrupt people and, and how people could be, could be flattered into getting themselves into positions they didn't need to be in and how only the eyes of an innocent could actually see the, the fraudulent nature of the story America told itself about what it was, right? That's, that's what Twain kind of did across everything he wrote. And I really feel like right when America had had demolished their education system to the point that only a handful of people were still reading Mark Twain, Donald Trump comes along and he is just the perfect Mark Twain character and he swindles America. He, he, he basically, his biggest selling point, apart from white supremacy and promising to return to the Confederacy, but that's, that, he never said that out loud, but that was obviously part of the, part of the brand, but his main selling point was that he was so good at business and getting rich and he could make America rich again. It wasn't about making America great again. It was all like, yeah, he'll make America rich again. Now, 
he is he is a poor person's idea of what a rich person is. <laughs> like no one who's actually rich looks at Donald Trump and goes, yeah, he's one of us. Like, no, you know, like the billionaires club, he doesn't, his swipe card doesn't work on the door of the billionaires club. Right. So he, and, and, you know, going into the last election, you would think that he was good at business. If you thought that the apprentice was how you run a business. <laughs> yeah. So if you watch the apprentice and go, Oh, this is exactly if I ran a corporation once a week, I would assemble my entire workforce and I would fire 10% of them. <laughs> and then next week I'll fire 11% and 12% down to the point where one week I fire 50% of my workforce and declare the others the winner. That's not how you run a company. Right. <laughs> and it, it's, it's literally not how you do it. But if you've, if you don't know what a com- company is like to run and you watch that on TV and it's a show with money, 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 and it's like, oh, this guy's a big businessman. Oh, look at the big businessman coming in with his fancy elevator and he's got a secretary and Mr. Businessman is here. And he goes, oh, you're fired. And I was, oh, yeah, Mr. Businessman. He's going to fire the shit ones and America will be great and rich. And it's like, you thought that was going to work if you had no idea how a business works, right? It turns out it's hard work and he's never shown an appetite for that. Now, so that makes him the perfect character to swindle America. My favorite detail, like some of his, some of his tax returns have come out recently. My favorite detail about how he's fucked at business, right? There was one year where his business debts that he wrote off, right? came to $1.1 billion of losses for one year, right? There's one person, $1.1 billion of losses for a year. That's more money than Husey makes at the comedy festival. <laughs> that, <laughs> that's, that's more than Husey got hit during the unpleasantness of the GFC. But, um, <laughs> but that year, that amounted to one-tenth of the business losses for the entire country that got written off at the IRS. So one tenth of the deductible business losses that got written off that year were Donald Trump, right? That's a staggering amount of money, right? And this is like one page of a tax return that the world's seen. Do you know what blows my mind about that? That was $1.1 billion he lost on a casino. Now, how do you lose money on a casino? Like that is a machine designed to lose other people's money and make you rich. He went anti-Wesley Snipes and uh, bet on the red. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or always bet on orange. There is no orange. Damn it. Um, but he, so he, what, what is amazing is he lost a tenth of the business losses for the American nation in one year and he did it running a business which is, has always been designed to make money no matter what happens, right? So... He is not good at business, but everyone thought, yeah, get a, I'm sick of politicians. Get a businessman in there. So getting back to answer this, you've asked me one question. Anyway, so getting back to it, getting back to it, I can tell you at the next election whether this is great or a genuinely concerning tragedy because if America en masse rejects him, it means that the Mark Twain character come to life has taught a lesson to everyone. Okay. But if they elect him again, it means that America is genuinely beyond salvation. Yes. Yeah, that's such a good point. My my other fear with it is that 
they have learnt the lesson and they vote him out. But I think something that people forget about all of this is you're allowed to do two terms. And does that mean we then have four years of him saying that the whole election was a fraud and then he runs again? Or do you think he bails out because he's exhausted by the end of this? Look, I... I mean, it's that's of all the scenarios, I don't find that one likely. I think it's far more likely that if he loses, he says it was rigged and it wasn't fair on him that he lost. And he goes and he sets up a right-wing TV network of, and of, you know, that makes Fox News look like NPR, you know, like look like PBS. So it's like... Like that's that's I think far more likely because he never really wanted the job anyway. He hasn't been that happy in the job, apart from the adulation he and calling himself president. He 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 doesn't enjoy doing the job. He doesn't enjoy the scrutiny, definitely. And 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 it's the most scrutinized job in the world, and he hates scrutiny. So that's you know, that's not his cup of tea. He'd much rather be able to deny that like to say that he won even when he didn't you know to never admit that he was a loser and just yell from the sidelines i think also this is if he loses if the polls are accurate right and we should get into this chat as well but if the polls are accurate and he loses the way he should then it as that happens it's all also going to do enormous damage to the Republican Party. And there are too many career politicians who want to be president themselves in the Republican Party to let someone who presided over the death of what will end up being 300,000 Americans from COVID and lost an election in a landslide, basically having his ass handed to him. There are too many motivated cunning fuckers that are 10 times smarter than him that will not let him anywhere near a nomination they will and 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 there will be a level of rat fuckery at that point within the republican party it will basically at that point all the shit he did in office that he doesn't want to be criminally liable for will magically come out and tie him up in prosecutions so he can't come anywhere near a republican nomination you know like like, like that, I think that's more likely to happen. Nikki Haley, Ben Sass, Tom Cotton, there, you know, Tom Cruise, uh, Tom Cruise, Ted, Tom Cruise, that'd be, <laughs> that would actually likely follow. That would be good. But no, Ted Cruz probably still thinks he's got a chance, even though he doesn't. There are, there are a number of Republicans who are definitely contenders. Um, and, you know, I find it more likely that Don Jr. runs next time than Donald Sr. runs next time. Right. Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it, to have watched over the four years. Because there was, uh, I think people kind of forget in the lead up, there were Republicans who were kind of going, what's going on with this crazy shit? And then once he became the leader, they, they sold their souls and they backed him. And it's 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 been fascinating. There's been some who are very comfortable with having done that. But you can see some have let their lives just drift from their eyes and they're, they're barely kind of moving in the background these days. Yeah, I, I think it's really interesting. Like Lindsey Graham, who you have a look at the clips of what he said about 
um, Donald Trump when he was a candidate. And it, and it was like the most scathing stuff, insert clip here, but like just <laughs> like, the, but he, him saying that he's like insane, a narcissist, can't be trusted, the greatest liar, he's a danger to the world order. And then him completely supporting Trump after that. Like you've got that level of hypocrisy. Then you've got like, I think interesting people like Kellyanne Conway who coined the term alternative facts, which is the byline for the Trump presidency. Um, But she has been in a situation where her husband, who's who's a conservative Republican lawyer, but finds Trump so detestable, so deplorable that he's been tweeting She's there doing press conferences in favour of Trump while he's tweeting, talking what a lying sack of shit he is. And their daughter has been on TikTok. Like his his daughter, her daughter went on and fucking yelled at Kellyanne Conway for giving her COVID that she called it a White House function. And like, like it's, it's been full on. Like, and so, so Kellyanne ended up resigning from the White House because it was tearing her family apart. And I think she kind of saw the reality. And a lot of people, you know, in politics, there's a lot of people who they treat it like they're professional and it's like they'll hold their nose and they'll do the job because they work for that party. You know, it's almost like journeyman NFL players that will play for a shit team for a season (laughs) that they grew up hating as a kid. But it's like, well, they're paying me to be a tight end, so I'll be a tight end. (laughs) Uh, You know, uh, but... So there's there is a lot of cynicism in politics, but I think this one is like there there are a number of people that have tried at least a little bit to distance themselves so that they can have a life sooner, a political life sooner afterwards. You know. Yeah, uh, I don't know if you saw this uh, earlier today, but uh, the Hunter the Hunter Biden dossier, uh, NBC had an exclusive, and they've said it, it appears to be from a fake intelligence firm and the author Martin Aspen doesn't exist. (laughs) And you read that and you go, that's outrageous. And then within seconds of saying that's outrageous, you go, oh yeah, no, that sounds about right. That feels like exactly where everything's going. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, this is like, it's one of the worst, least successful smear campaigns ever in politics. Right. The, I mean, my personal favorite is, Hunter Biden at the time... So, so for people that don't know the story, right? Mm. They've been trying to manufacture this scandal around Hunter Biden, that he was corrupt in Ukraine, corrupt in China, and it's meant to put stink on Joe Biden, right? And their smoking gun is two laptops and a hard drive that were water damaged and dropped off at repair at a computer place, and they belong to Hunter Biden. And, and this patriotic computer repairman handed them over to the FBI, but not before copying everything and giving a copy to Rudy Giuliani, who's working for the president. Right. So that's, so that's, that's the story. It gets more interesting. Oh, sorry. Is that, is, is that the star of Borat too? <laughs> Rudy yeah. That's the star of Borat too. And willing lover, Rudy Giuliani. Um, and ferocious microphone remover. Um, but, but so the, the, it gets funnier to me in that at the time, Hunter Biden lived in California and this computer repair shop was in Delaware or just outside Delaware. 
Now, admittedly, that's where Joe Biden lives. But Joe Biden, why is Joe Biden dropping off Hunter Biden's laptop <laughs> at a computer shop in Delaware? Why is he not taking it to the fucking Apple shop when it's an Apple fucking laptop? But more importantly, <laughs> the guy that runs his computer shop is legally blind. <laughs> so the, the star witness is legally blind. So that's... So the legally blind guy gets the laptop, makes a copy. He's an upstanding citizen. So, of course, he gives it to the president's personal attorney uh, and then gives it to the FBI. And the FBI have concluded... Well, the F- actually, no, the FBI won't say publicly if they are investigating something, which is uh, intriguing, uh, complicating, but fine. But the national intelligence, like Trump's own national intelligence advisors have said it is most likely part of a Russian disinformation campaign aimed at corrupting the election. So what you have now is Rudy Giuliani most likely doing the work of the Russian government to undermine confidence in Biden, or at least it would, if anyone thought this story had credibility. And the fact is that they shopped it around to so many outlets before the New York Post ran it. The journalist who wrote the draft of the story at the New York Post refused to have his name on the story yeah. because he said it is unverifiable and can't make, verify that any of it is true. So now for you to tell me that the, the person behind the dossier on all of this is a made-up person is like, well, of course it is. Brilliant. But that's, that's just how sneaky Biden is. Biden, who has trouble remembering <laughs> Donald Trump's name. That's how sneaky yeah, he is at the moment. The, it's, sometimes he uses his own name just because <laughs> it's easier. <laughs> I, do, do you think people watch the movie Dr. Strangelove and miss the point that it wasn't a blueprint? <laughs> yeah, I often think that. In the same way that... Or 1984. It's like a combination of the two. Like, the... And idiocracy. It's, it's, all, it's all of them, you know, but uh, together. But, but that's the thing, like, it's at the risk of saying something really, really trite. The thing that you can't, the problem you can't solve with this, the knot you, you can't unpick with all of this, is just how much the world has been able to divide itself into separate streams of information. Right. And, and streams of opinion and streams of fact, you know, and the, the internet is brilliant, but it means that you can go and get the news that you want and be told what you want to hear. And it means in a place like America that you, you can, there are a lot of people that they hear Hunter Biden email laptop and they go, yeah, it's like Benghazi, you know, it's, they, they believe that stream of information and there's a vested interest of one side to, to feed that information in the same way that like the U S election, the presidential election is it's my grand final super bowl, the ashes Woodstock all rolled into one. Like every four years, this is my thing. And the amount of time of my life it takes up staying across it, the number of podcasts I listen to on a daily basis, the sites that I click refresh on desperate for a new poll out of fucking <laughs> Minnesota, you know, like, like this is like, I spent all this time on it and I had this realization uh, a couple of weeks ago that I was like, all right, well, let's have a look at what I'm listening to. And I had filtered out the things that were what I didn't want to listen to. Right. You know, and for me, yeah, I'm, 
I, I don't mind saying I definitely would rather Joe Biden wins than Donald Trump. I think Donald Trump is the worst possible person to hold that job. I think he's dangerous for the world. I think he damaged the world order. He's damaged NATO. He's he's damaged you, the stability in the in Europe that was achieved in the shadow of the Second World War. World Health Organization. World Health undermining the World Health Organization at the most important time in the WHO's existence. Yeah. And and he's also single-handedly meant that at least 200,000 more people died from COVID in America than needed to because he made it about him and about his own popularity. Uh, And so I I think there's definite reasons why he should not be president of the United States. I think there's definite reasons why Joe Biden is, he's not perfect, but he is a good person who I think can be trusted to be boring at least for four years bring stability to things, maybe build some fucking roads and bridges, you know, like do some things that can, that, that need to be done in America. Like I, I've got an outcome that, that I would like. And I possibly have tailored the information that I receive to help me feel better about that narrative. You know, the podcasts I listen to are probably, it's funny. I, you know, you could say they're left leaning. I, I, I would say I'm just, I want actual data and I don't want to, I don't want QAnon conspiracies told to me on a regular basis, you know, but I, but I think we all do it. I think we all filter information um, to get what we want, but I think there is a rarefied cultish version that goes on with Trump and Republicans in America that are like, you know, it's like there's a pandemic, a quarter of a million people have died the fact that you're at a rally not wearing a mask where you're all getting COVID and pro- possibly dying just because you've de- just because he got it and, and lived that says that you're just buying a whole stream of bullshit that, that is, it's like at your yeah. own, at your own cost, you know, the, you know, the, the, the two uh, Trump supporters that I'm sure you were across these uh, guys uh, that I was absolutely fascinated with and could not shake from my head was the woman who down in Florida in Congress said that she doesn't wear a mask for the same reason she doesn't wear underwear because shit's got to breathe and it's like yeah but yeah unless your vagina is sneezing COVID like that doesn't make any sense (laughs) and the the other one was the guy who he was really sincere he had he had the Trump hat on and he, he spoke you know quite well and he was saying look I know COVID is a real thing. People are saying COVID isn't real. One of my best friends uh, ended up with COVID and he died. His son ended up on a ventilator. So I know COVID is true, but I'm not going to wear a mask because the Democrats tell me. I was like, well, no, you shouldn't wear a mask because the Democrats tell you. You should tell them because the evidence in front of your eyes tells you that COVID is real and that's why you should wear a mask. Like the only way you could have had better evidence is if you died of COVID. That's right. But but that's you know that's the interesting thing about Trump is that like Trump got COVID, feared for his life, had to get emergency experimental treatment, flown in a helicopter to his own suite in a hospital. It would have been the perfect opportunity for him to learn something, right? That's the but instead he came out and he goes, "I've learned about this disease." And, I, and this isn't book learning. He actually said, this isn't book learning. This is real learning. And I now understand the disease. And it's yeah. like, 
he has shown an ability to not learn anything rarely seen on this planet. And this is one time where he should have learned from his experience from it. And, and, you know, no one should wear a mask because the Democrats say so. They should wear it because the doctors say so, because the scientists say so. And, it, and it's an interesting, there's an interesting repercussion in America, a little similar to Australia, but the, all, of the, all of the climate change arguments against science that the big business has been running that you can't trust scientists, you know, like you don't listen to scientists, you're not, you know, and all that I'm not a scientist, so I'm not going to do anything, you know, that, that has really been damaging to America as a country when the scientists were saying, if everyone wore a mask, it'll save hundreds of thousands of lives. And people go, well, I'm not going to listen to scientists, you know, and, and, and that's, and that's, well, you know, that's getting back to the point that I made. If they stick with Trump, America doesn't kind of doesn't deserve to be a superpower anymore. I think I, I think that's a big story for the next ten years. Is whether or not America stays a superpower, and I find it quite unlikely that they will. Yeah, it doesn't feel like it's going to uh, last. There's been too much uh, proper damage done here. Also, getting back to the scientist point of view, we we live in a world where uh, Dr. Fauci has to have a security detail, like the guy who's just saying, I want yeah. Americans to live and just wear a mask. He has to have a security detail for when he goes for a walk because of violence being suggested might come his way. Yeah. And also just the idea that, like, Fauci is still employed in that job. He still works for the Trump administration doing that job. And Trump is out at rallies going, Fauci and these other idiots don't know what they're talking about. It's like, like you're still paying him to do that job. Yeah. You know, like it's the, the way that you can say whatever you like, if it, if it means you get reelected, it's just, it's so terrifying, but also, I mean, that the gravity has come, you know, it's the thing about Trump is without COVID, he was a pretty good chance of getting reelected. Right. He was about a 50, 50 chance of getting reelected. He could have used a, that weight of incumbency. The fact that he runs the federal government, he he could have used a lot of that in his favour and he would have been very hard to beat. But all of a sudden, the biggest story in America and the biggest story in the world became the number one thing that voters care about and it was the test that came for him and he failed it so catastrophically and everyone can see it and it has... If he loses, it's the one big reason yeah. is because he fucked up COVID. He didn't take it seriously because he was worried that it would make him unpopular, right? He was like, I don't want to say COVID's even a, a big thing to worry about because that'll make people feel down and they won't vote for me. And, and it actually shows it's political malpractice because the best thing that can happen for a president running for re-election, this is the best thing that can happen is a massive crisis arrives and you handle it like a grown-up. Right. You don't have to solve COVID. He didn't have to cure COVID. He just had to take it seriously and be on the job doing the things that experts told him would soften the landing, right? Give money to people that have lost their jobs. Try to suppress 
the virus so it's manageable, so your health system keeps flatten the curve, all of that stuff. The stuff that we've had to do in Australia, that we did in Victoria, we've got a similar population to a lot of American states. We were up to 700 COVID cases a day and we did what it takes to get it back down to zero. Hopefully by Tuesday, it's not at 700 again. <laughs> but, um, but like, it, it's possible to do. If he had done that, like literally if he'd gone COVID, if he'd overreacted and just gone, COVID is coming, China's tried to kill us and I'm going to do this, this, this and this and for a month shut America down, stopped it, he absolutely would have been re-elected and he would have changed his name to King Donald and he would never, he, he'd be president forever. Like he'd, he would not, he would, he would ban elections and he would become that guy. Like, and, and so that's the political malpractice of him is, the one thing he had to do was take this virus seriously and do the, what the experts said and he would be fine. And he did the opposite and it's cost him. And, and you have a look at it. Seniors, people over 65, vote Republican like no one else's business. And they vote more at a higher percentage than anyone else in America. And they are now voting for Biden more than Trump. Like they, they favour Biden by a factor of like eight or nine, 10 percentage points because so many of the seniors are like, no, man, we're going to die if this guy stays running the place. Like, we are scared for our lives. This guy is risking our lives and they get it. So that's like, so getting back to the point that I said we, we should come back to, that's if the polls are telling the truth. That's if the election isn't rigged. Like, you know, that's if the postal service doesn't lose 10 million ballots in the right states and, you know, fuck up the whole thing. But if the polls... If, if the election isn't rigged and the polls are anywhere near accurate, even if the polls are as accurate as they were last time, then Biden is going to win. So even if you factor in an error that occurred last time that meant everyone thought Hillary would win and Trump won, even if you factor in an error of that percentage, Biden still wins. Right. And that lead has been consistent. Yeah. So, you know, the, the, the odds are good. And the odds are pretty good for a landslide, 300 plus electoral votes for Biden. And I really hope that happens. It, it, uh, it looks like that Texas might uh, vote blue for the first time in maybe ever, I think. That seems to be the prediction there. No, not since 1976 when uh, Jimmy Carter won Texas. Oh, of course. Yeah, Carter. Yeah, right. Carter. Peanut farmer from Georgia, I think, won Texas. Um, so yeah, but and that's really interesting. The, initially, people thought that Texas had this big demographic shift that there are a lot more. Um, uh... A lot can happen in the next three years, like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Uh, black and Hispanic uh, residents of Texas, like they've had a big democratic shift that it's becoming a majority-minority state. It's remarkable how much more comfortable Americans are talking about racial specificity in the populace than, than occur, seems to occur anywhere else. Right. They really carve it up by race. But um, so Texas has become majority minority and that's believed to be better for get Democrats. But the reason, the bigger reason Texas might go Democrat this time around is the suburbs and particularly educated women in the suburbs hate Trump so much and are, are happy to vote Democrat instead of voting for Trump. And so, and, and it's those suburbs that have always won Republicans elections in, in, in particularly in Texas, like the suburbs of Dallas are enormous, like relatively wealthy white suburbs of Dallas and Houston, but they've also become more diverse suburbs over the years. So Trump pushing a whole like, we don't almost we don't want to integrate the suburbs like like he's promising to keep black people out of suburbs and like white white people in suburbs are going sorry all our neighbors are like we've got black neighbors we're all friends we have barbecues on the weekend i don't know what 1950s version of hell you think we're living in yeah this is 2020 so i you know that that's the big thing in texas is those suburbs and it'll be interesting to see what happens with that but but it's also like Hillary thought she had a chance in Texas. Mm. There's always been a lot of like, it's been like, will it flip this time? And it's been like tantalizing and it's really expensive to buy TV in Texas. And it's also, it's a little ways away from a lot of the other um, battleground States. Right. So if you're going to, if you're the Democrat and you're going to go campaign there, it's going to cost you a lot of money. And you've got to take a whole day out to go to Dallas and come back, you know, or to go, if you want to you really want to do well, you want to go down to El Paso on the, on the Southern border. That's, you're getting, that's a, that's a full day trip and you'll be lucky to make it back to Florida to, to rally the next day. Right. Right. So it's a big commitment. And for Democrats, it's always burned them a little bit that they, it wasn't really there for them. It was a bit of a mirage. They spend money and time on it and it ends up costing them somewhere else. This time around it's different because Biden has so much more money than Trump and they can afford to splash some money down in, down in Texas. Kamala Harris is doing a rally there. You know, she's doing a stop there. And I don't know if Biden's going to go there before election day, but I think there's a chance he would. He'll go to Georgia before he goes to there, but there's a chance he will. But that's the thing. There's, there's a number of states that because of Trump, that Biden might win that a Democrat hasn't won for right. Georgia, North Carolina. Right. Uh, there are some good chances for him. My God, I sound like such a pundit. I sound like I'm on CNN. Like, yeah, that's fine. But it's, it, you know what I'm curious about is, you know, we talk about Trump throughout this election, what he's doing right, what he's doing wrong, mainly what he's doing wrong. Is is Biden actually running a good campaign or is it just a campaign of minimalization where you... You know, when you just let someone talk crazy and you just sit back and let them shoot themselves in the foot, which I guess is still a good campaign in itself. Yeah, there's an old saying 
there's an old political saying of mine, which is when your opponent's punching himself in the dick till he passes out, why get involved? It's one of your great sayings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, I think he's run a smart campaign for a whole bunch of reasons, right? Um, I think his policies are great. It's actually a very progressive policy platform without being scary to most voters. It's, it's not socialism. You know, it, it's, he wants a, he wants a, a like a, a public option so that you can buy, you can get government healthcare if you want, or you can still get private health insurance. You know, he's, he wants to build, he wants to do massive infrastructure to, to create jobs, but he wants to build renewable energy resources and build a green economy. It's really smart. Like it's environmentally smart, but also like economically smart. So his policies are good. There's not like, there's nothing in his policies that worry me. Right. And all that worry most people, but he's been smart in a whole bunch of other ways. Biggest story in America is COVID. All the polling says it's the number one thing people care about. People are scared of COVID. It's, it's shattered their economy and people are worried. He, did what everyone else has had to do. He stayed at home. Yeah. Like he isolated, you know, like he, he stayed at home. He was in lockdown himself and he was living the experience of Americans who like grown-ups, have just been doing what you have to do to get through COVID. And that has been a stark contrast to Trump who's played by none of the rules. He has events where he's out in the open. He downplays it, doesn't wear a mask, makes fun of people wearing a mask. Biden's wearing a mask. Because everyone else has to fucking wear a mask. He's done simple things that says, I'm in this with you. I don't, I don't treat myself specially. I have to play by the same rules you do. And Trump tried to run this argument that he's scared and he's hiding in his basement. But when Trump is the news and you can't have a rally without killing people, staying home is a really smart thing to do. What he did while he was staying at home is he was doing Zoom fundraisers which were a completely new political thing. And so he would do fundraising events while Trump's out just being loud, making noise and fucking shit up. He's on Zoom to like Zoom meetings of a thousand people who are all giving a thousand bucks. And he is just banking like check after check after check that you need to run an election. The other story to come out of it all was that Trump didn't like Zoom fundraisers. So when this, for like months, two months, when Biden is racking up cash, Trump's not doing fundraisers because he doesn't like Zoom and he thinks it's annoying. He wants to be watching Fox and Friends and tweeting, right? So while all this is going on, Trump's campaign is running out of money. Biden is just banking checks. He doesn't have to fuel the plane to fly anywhere. He doesn't have to, like pay for a stage to stand on when he speaks like all of these overheads have been reduced they made a decision to not door knock for two months so they didn't have to pay people to go out and door knock because they thought it was worse to appear like you were spreading the virus so the whole campaign had the branding of we take covid seriously and we're compassionate about americans and don't want to fucking kill them and it had this offset which was he was resting up practicing for debates raising money, doing, doing all this homework you normally don't get to do in a campaign because you're flying here, there and everywhere. And then so coming into the home stretch of the campaign where America's opened up just enough that he can get out there and do some things, him doing a rally is a new thing. So people will pay attention to it. Barack Obama's out for the first time 
with less than two weeks to go. You know, like all of the big attention getting things, he's been saving them up because he hasn't had to do anything. He's had this solid lead in the polls. Trump keeps fucking stuff up and he's been a small target. I think it has been a brilliant campaign. They've done everything right. They've brought out great ads. They've told great stories. They've got money to burn in the last two weeks. They're out, even in battleground states, they're out spending Trump on air two to one. And it's like, do you know what? If he doesn't win, he doesn't win. And it wasn't, a, you know, and Trump won the campaign and he rigged it in the way that he needed to. Or, or that America, you know, decided to go with the guy from The Apprentice again. Like, you know, if, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But I don't know that you could have had a better strategy. I don't know that you could have done it smarter than he's done it. And for a whole bunch of reasons, I think he was exactly the right candidate for this election. My favourite candidate was Elizabeth Warren. I thought she would have been the best president. I, 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 I really thought she... I would have loved to have seen her on a debate stage against Donald Trump. It would have been glorious. But, you know, as it was, I think, I think you got a great character getting back to the Mark Twain story that you got the figure of redemption. He's the, you know, he's the journeyman who it's actually really interesting. It's the interesting thing about this Hunter Biden thing is he's been in politics for 45, 47 years. And you know, you know that the Trump campaign has gone, has sent out every possible muckraker in the world to dig up dirt on Joe Biden and there's nothing there. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's the amazing thing about Biden is like, you know, if there was dirt, it'd be out by now. He's been there 47 years. He's had opponents every couple of fucking years for 47 years in politics. And if it was there, it'd be out. And the, the worst thing anyone tags him with is a bad bill in 1994, the criminal justice bill that really imprisoned a lot of African-American men during the, the drug epidemic. And, and it was a genuine mistake. And he admits that it was a mistake. And that's the one thing hanging over his head that you can, you know, like that you can hang on him. The dirt's not there. And so I think he is potentially for the story, a great redeeming figure. He's too old to run again after this, which means he can get in and he can actually try. If the Democrats win the house and the Senate, he can pass all sorts of shit, not worried about re-election. You know, he can actually, because normally presidents hurt themselves when they go, well, I can't overreach because I have to be re-elected again. You know, like, and, and so he doesn't have to worry about defending a record because, I mean, it'd be bonkers for him to run again. Just chill out, man. You know, like, <laughs> but it means he can, it's possible that he can do things right and kind of reset the game a little bit. He can reform the Supreme Court. He can reform the Senate. He can, um, like, if you pass and start a massive infrastructure bill, which is a green economy, and it's and it's well and truly underway within 12 months, that's hard. That's a difficult genie to put back in the bottle, particularly because people have started getting jobs from it. There's a chance he can do that and do all the kind of things that presidents might be shy about doing because they can't get reelected. And it could be a great thing to see. Oh, there you go. So that's that's where that's the Twain test. Is it a happy ending Twain or a shitty ending Twain? Uh, we'll see. We'll see where we go. And I, I'm fascinated. The uh, you know Australian politics in in many ways seems to learn 
often terrible lessons from campaigning and we see it uh, played out here. Do do you see uh, any positive lessons coming to uh, our Australian politicians in uh, in the coming years? Or are we are they going to stick the course? Yeah, I don't think things are going to change a hell of a lot here. What I think is really interesting, I don't think your Trump-type figures can garner massive support here. Yeah. Right? Like... Uh, and that's because we have compulsory voting. You can't become prime minister without securing the middle in some way. You know, like Clive Palmer is our Trump uh, in, in so many ways. You know, a businessman with the... He's probably just actually made a bit more money than Trump, you know, but he hasn't made as much as he likes people to think he's made. But... There's no way Clive Palmer's becoming prime minister. Like, it just can't... Like, that's not going to happen. He can fuck up an election with his money like he did last time. He can buy enough ads that some, that he can decide a bit who wins. Right. But but I don't think... But that's it. You know, if we decide that's a, a bad thing, which we should, we could resolve that by changing the way that money is spent in politics. You know, right. like, it, you can do that quite easily in Australia. Uh, but I don't think I don't think Trump figures are likely here in that way because they are unpalatable to the middle. And Australia, by and large, has been a comfortable, relatively comfortable place. And so there isn't the same level of just wholesale dissatisfaction with the Australian way of life that it would take for the kind of to hire the guy off the apprentice, you know. <laughs> You know, to hire Angry Anderson to be um, to, to be prime minister, or you know, I just don't, I don't see that likely. But but I do think you have a growing propensity for politicians, sadly, to understand how unaccountable they can be, and to lose the sense of shame that used to keep politicians in line. I think there's a lot of politicians that. They have scandals and they just think that if they do nothing about them for long enough and keep their jobs, then it goes away and they don't, the shame doesn't run them out of politics. I'd love to see a bit more shame back in politics in Australia. The stocks, I'd like the stocks. You know, when someone has a fiasco, the minister, that they get put in the stocks for a week and we can all throw some veggies at them and they get properly shamed. You know, I think that would be good. That'd be healthy for democracy. That's kind of fascinating, isn't it? That lack of shame or that loss of the ability to feel shame. And because, uh, you know, it, it's there's words like shame and anxiety, which are, of course, things that everyone feels, etc. But they're not always 100% a negative. Like you feel them for a specific reason. And usually they're an opportunity to to learn from them. But we, we kind of know how to wave it away with words and uh, gloss over it, don't you think? Yeah, they can be regulatory. Like, they can be a regulatory thing, you know. And, and I guess, you like, anxiety is pretty normal. It's a pretty um, natural, not nat- normal, but natural thing. And anxiety disorder is when it runs unchecked, you know, and it becomes your dominant mode. Where sometimes a healthy bit of anxiety can be a life-saving, you know, on the veldt in in millennia past, if you're a bit anxious about lions, that was a handy thing to have. It's a good know. thing. <laughs> yeah. 
a little bit wide. If you're a little bit meerkatish about the whole fucking thing, you you know, I <laughs> think that was that was good. But if you if you have that level of constant anxiety now as you're sitting at home in lockdown watching Netflix, it's probably not the most useful thing. You know, um, but yeah, shame and anxiety, like, and shame, you know, shame served, I think, I think shame serves some real purpose for making out of bounds behaviors so unacceptable that they, you can reduce the incidence of them occurring. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, and, and let's like, let's, um, Okay, let's take a, a classic example that remains shameful is pedophilia, okay? It's, it's about as heinous a thing as you can get up to. And society knows it and they've known it for quite a while. They're getting better at believing when it happens, you know, like we're getting better out of it. But if you were found to have been a pedophile, that was a shame that would stay with you forever and you were out of the, out of the herd, Right? that is definitely out of bounds. If that thought crosses your mind, society has already fucking given you the heads up, but that's a shame that will stick with you forever. Um, so things like that. And, and it used to be that political corruption, taking a bribe or even a very fancy contribution that you can say wasn't a bribe, but still stinks, carried with it a shame that would stick with you a lot longer and would possibly drive you to either not do it in the first place or leave politics over it. Yeah. But I think that that, though, that shame has diminished a bit. And it's funny. I wonder, this is, this is a bullshit theory, but let's see where it goes. Um, I think one of the dangers of the internet is that even the most fringe ideas can find community. Right. Yeah. And I think people can delude themselves. If you've got, if you've got an idea in your head that's, that you reckon might be fucked and you're all alone. That's a pretty good sign that idea is fucked. Yeah. (laughs) But if you've got an idea in your head that you think might be fucked and you happen to be in something of a support group of 50 people that all have the same idea in their head, all of a sudden that idea doesn't seem quite as fucked. Mm. And and I think that's a worry. I think the you know anyone can find the Venn diagram that, that anyone can find a Venn diagram for themselves on the internet because you're connecting literally everyone on the planet. And I think that can give a mistaken idea to people that they're on the right track or or that they're at least not on catastrophically the wrong track. And and you know QAnon's a great example of that. It's 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 an absolute load of hooey, and it's dangerous and it has the threat of causing domestic terrorism. But there, if you can find enough people that are spreading it online, all of a sudden you think you're part of something and it's not, not that it's just a ludicrous fruitcake idea. Yeah. You know, what's fascinating to me is, you know, when after enough time has passed, you can look back and at a certain moment in history and go, oh, you know what? I should have taken that moment more seriously, even though it seemed unimportant at the time because that was actually a synecdoche of what was going to happen later. And the weird thing for me when I look back four years ago is, remember all these men's activist groups popped up over Mad Max Fury Road? (laughs) 
And they were really upset about how they kept talking about how Max had been castrated. <laughs> like the lead, the lead was Charlize Theron, and she's a cripple. And all these men's oh. activist groups opened up, and I thought it was the funniest thing in the world. And then they're all the people who voted in ways that we weren't expecting. And now I look back on that moment and go, "Geez, I really." should have taken that Mad Max Fury Road discourse a little bit more seriously. Yeah. I mean, what was the um, ground zero for that, though, was female Ghostbusters. Oh, yeah, without a that doubt. Was, that, was, that was the first post of Q. Yeah. You know, that was the Q originating post, <laughs> was, was the anger over a female Ghostbusters. But, you know, I, what I like about that, I think, is that... Uh, like just fucking good luck getting a date. Um, if you're if you're someone who likes to talk a lot about how they fucking stole Ghostbusters from <laughs> you by making it for women, <laughs> what a weird thing to be angry about! How dare they steal Ghostbusters from me? I, I I've kept you uh, longer than I I said I was going to, and I I need to get to this because this is the most important question that I was I had prepared okay. for you, and um, I really appreciate you hanging out. But the um, you know, during these stressful times, what What's your yacht rock go to 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 chill out? Oh, okay. Well, I mean, this is because I know you love yacht rock. You 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 wanted this to be a quick wrap up question. <laughs> no, um, but okay. So the most relaxing yacht rock song, almost without exception, is uh, Christopher Cross sailing. That is that is. Hands down, the most relaxing Yacht Rock song. What? What's the... Hang on, there's one lyric. The canvas can do miracles. Just you wait and see. Oh! oh. People forget that that was a big uh, Grammy Award winning album as well. I think it took out, like, everything. That, it was huge. Like, it won, it won everything. Christopher Cross is one of the most successful recording artists of all time. Because that was... I think it was just before or just off the back of him i think he won the oscar for arthur's theme oh yes the yeah between the moon and new york city bracket between the moon and new york city which is one of my favorite songs in the entire world but christopher cross is a staggering um staggering talent i highly recommend his christmas album a christopher cross christmas which is a great name for him it's so good but um but so but christopher cross definitely isn't the main game in um in yacht rock i will say that like there's a lot the new yacht rock is is a nuanced genre but he is useful for explaining one thing about yacht rock and that is that there is yacht rock and there is another type of music right and and the classification is based on how well they sold right so christopher cross is yacht rock he sold enough to buy a fucking yacht right it's music to listen to on your yacht you know it's the same like um Michael McDonald era Doobie Brothers, that's Yacht Rock. Steely, uh, Michael McDonald in general, Yacht Rock. Uh, Kenny Loggins, Yacht Rock. Uh, L- Late Loggins and Messina, the earlier duo before Loggins. <laughs> Late Loggins and Messina, that's Yacht Rock. They're even dressed in sailors' outfits on the front of one of their albums, which I've got on vinyl. Yes, um, you have. Steely Dan, is, Steely Dan is, is absolute top shelf, uh, indisputable kings of Yacht Rock, right? Uh, but so they're yacht rock. They all sold enough money in the seventies to buy yachts, right? Then you have songs by bands or, or outfits that definitely 
from an acoustic uh, standpoint, qualifies yacht rock. Uh, and, and probably the best example is Seals and Crofts Summer Breeze, <laughs> right? That acoustically <laughs> sa- qualifies as, as yacht rock, but it is not yacht rock because they did not sell enough records to buy yachts. So do you know what that is known as? And this is absolutely true. That's marina rock. <laughs> That's known as marina rock. <laughs> I didn't know that. That is amazing. <laughs> so Seals and Crofts is marina rock. There's another one. What's the song? Um, the song Brandy. What is it? Yeah, I'm looking at Brandy song, You're a Fine Girl by Looking Glass. Oh, right? yes. And it's a beautiful song. It's And it's one of my favorite Yacht Rock songs. It's a wistful song about a girl who works behind the bar. And basically what I imagine, in my mind, it's actually like, it's a Yacht Rock version of Nantucket when it was a whaler's village back in the 1800s. <laughs> and so she's actually married to a, a, a ship's captain who is basically married to the sea. And so every all the all the ship's captains and all the sailors drink in the bar and they're all quietly in love with Brandy. But she is in love with a man who's in love with the sea and she accepts it, right? And it's, it's pretty, it's a beautiful song, right? It's a lovely song. But either way, whilst it sounds like Yacht Rock, I think it's technically Marina Rock. Um, <laughs> um, but there is, if people... Sorry, you go. You go. Oh, I was going to say, it is one of those things where, have you ever played Yacht Rock to someone and said, how great is this? And they, it, it's, it's, it's a genre that you get or you don't get. And there's no, I don't think there's any way of winning someone over. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. And for me, what's really interesting is this was music my parents liked and I heard a lot in the car when I was a kid. So I knew the music, but I never really liked it because it was like my parents' music. Yeah. It was like, oh, oh, really? Steely Dan? Okay. Well, I'm going to be over here getting into NWA, motherfucker. Right? <laughs> and, um, so, so it was never my music, but I knew of it really well. Then I came to enjoy it ironically. Right? This is the important step is I came to enjoy it ironically. And then there was a moment where I was enjoying it ironically that the penny dropped, that it is actually just some of the greatest music ever recorded. <laughs> and I stopped enjoying it ironically. And then I was like, oh no, this is this is actually one of the greatest eras of music. And then you listen to it, you realise the harmonies of Bananas, everyone can fucking sing. Everyone can properly sing. They sing well. Michael McDonald is a freak show Whew. of a singer. Kenny Loggins is unbelievable. Fucking Hall and Oates. Hall and Oates. Shit, Hall and Oates did. Yeah. So I've a little pocket theory on Hall and Oates. Do you want a little pocket theory? Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> so Hall and Oates do a thing that the Beatles do. And it's why Hall and Oates are the greatest duo of all time. And it's why I consider the Beatles to be the greatest band of all time. All right. The principle is the same, but I'll explain it for Hall and Oates. You can hear a Hall and Oates song. You listen to any Hall & Oates song, but you can hear a Hall & Oates song and you know it's a Hall & Oates song. But no two Hall & Oates songs sound the same. Oh, that is so true. And that is actually, for me, the Beatles, what, why, I think, why I think the Beatles are amazing is you know a Beatles song. You hear a song, you know it's a Beatles song. 
but on an on an album, they never no two songs sound the same. They were never like, oh, this is our this period. You know, it's like even Sergeant Pepper's, which you think is like a concept album, concept circus band album. You listen to it, it's like Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds is nothing like a day in the life. Nothing like Good Morning. You know, like it's there's it's a you know, so to and to me it's the same with Hall and Oates. It's like you go, all right, you know what? Rich girl is nothing like Private Eye. Like that is nothing like fucking Private Eye. Like, like you know, that's that's not the same fucking. You know, you go, but you go, but they're both definitely both fucking Hall and Oates songs. You know, like, and I think that's, I think that's that's interesting. Happy to hear some thoughts on other other bands uh, that people think fall into that category. Let us know via Justin's Twitter. Uh, but, but what I would say about um, what's interesting on my yacht rock journey, so. Um, my wife and I, Sarah, deeply into Yacht Rock. You've, you've been over to our place listening to Yacht Rock in the Treehouse. <laughs> Not a euphemism. And so, like, yeah. <laughs> and just deeply into Yacht Rock. Soundtrack of our lives for, like, the last 15 years. And we went to see Steely Dan at the Beacon Theatre in New York play the album Asia cover to cover. And it was perfect, sounded exactly like the album, was one of the most spiritual and wonderful experiences of our lives. And at the same time, by a factor of about 40 years, we were the youngest people <laughs> in that theatre. Like there was like, there was literally no one else in, the the- in that theatre that was our age. And it was, it's a, it was an amazingly alienating experience. But uh, yeah, who are those young whippersnappers? <laughs> yeah, it was like we were there with 3,000 of our parents. Was what it was. <laughs> but um, but what I would say is, as an advocate for yacht rock, is just, uh, if you're not into it or you think you're not into it, just have a go at listening. Look up a yacht rock playlist on um, Spotify or you know, uh, Apple Music, whatever your streaming source is, and listen to it and try to listen to it unironically just take the irony out of it don't make fun of it just enjoy it for what it is and i think it'll get through it's just absolutely beautiful stuff like it's amazing um so yeah i highly recommend that also while you're doing that listen to the song i keep forgetting by uh michael mcdonald which is the song that was sampled for regulate by warren g and that is like that is one of the that is one of the coolest pieces of music a white man has ever fucking recorded. It is very very good, very good stuff, mate. I uh, I have loved this, and I know that you are really busy, so I'm uh, going to let you go now. But I uh, I hope now that uh, the restrictions have been lifted in Victoria, I get to see you and Sarah soon, and we can smoke a menthol cigarette and wear a Hawaiian shirt and listen to some yacht rock because it's been way too long. We will we'll we'll smoke a yacht rock cigarette together, and we will uh, we will do that absolutely. I've got a new range of Hawaiian shirts ready, uh, absolutely. And by the way, sorry, gotta gotta just point out, Jimmy Buffett technically not yacht rock, he's trop rock. So just just anyone willing to make that, don't, don't make that mistake. Very important. That's the most important lesson you've given us today, Charlie. So good to see you, mate. We'll see you soon. Hey, great to see you, man. See you, man. Bye. <laughs>
big thank you to Charlie Pickering for finding time in his busy schedule to join me here on the podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a top review at Apple Podcasts. We're still a new production, really, so any help getting the word out there about what we're doing here is greatly appreciated. And remember, you can also find us on Facebook at Big Squid with Justin Hamilton or come and join our private conversation page where you can hang out with friends of the show and vote on things like you know, topics you'd like to hear in future episodes or share your thoughts about what you're loving or things that we've talked about or just hang out in general. Everyone there is super cool and uh, really nice and we have lots of uh, interesting chats happening over there. So please feel free to come by. Uh, If you're looking for some blogs or you're looking for some short stories like properly short stories, like little three-minute reads, you can also find stuff over at my website, justinhamilton.com.au. Before I go, here is our latest quote, and I figured since we were talking about the American election, uh, it would be appropriate to have a quote, and it's probably one of my favourite quotes from the late Robert Kennedy. There are those that look at things the way they are and ask why. I dream of things that never were and ask Why not? Until then. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.